Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, my, uh, my freshman year of college, I uh, did the classic thing. I packed up, I, I hugged my mom, and I, I walked out the door, and I went away to, to school for a, for a few hours. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, that, that moment happened when you realize that you don't know how to do laundry, and you really need to go home so that your mom can do laundry. And so that's what they've invented this thing called fall break for. It's about four to five weeks into the fall semester uh, so that, that people like me who are lazy and entitled and bad people that don't know how to do laundry can go home and say, Mom, will you please do my laundry like you have my whole life? So uh, my freshman year, I packed up and, and went home for fall break. I decided I wanted uh, fall break to be a little different, wanted people to know that I was fitting in in college, wanted people to know that I was making friends, wanted people to know that I was having a great time. And so I thought, I'm going to take some friends home. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to show people my, my friends and and just be like, look at these awesome people I'm meeting. And so uh, I, I had kind of started making friends with some guys that were, were pretty musical, and I used to do a lot of things with music. And so I decided that, that we were going to go home, and I, I called my, my pastor at my home church, and I said, hey, can, can me and my friends, uh, would it be cool if we, if we sang, did a song uh, on Sunday when we're home for church? And he's like, yeah, that'd be great, you know? So... Um, we decided that we would do that. My church that I grew up in, a little more traditional, they had this slot in the service called special music, right? And so uh, every week you would come in and you'd have a hymnal and there'd be a pipe organ and you'd do some songs and it'd be, you know, they'd have someone come up and like uh, do, do a scripture reading and then there'd be the offering. And right before the pastor came up for the message, there was, this, there was a spot called special music, right? And it was, it was like someone singing along to a pre-recorded cassette tape or something. But uh, if you didn't grow up in the church, you don't remember the 80s or the 90s, you're probably laughing at me already, but trust me me when I say this was a big deal, all right? So if you were in the special music slot, it was a big deal. So I, I brought some friends home, and uh, I stacked the team. I brought some awesome friends home, right? I have this friend named Jeremy. Uh, he is from Florida, and he's like every surfer stereotype you could ever want. He's just always been a model and always had like blonde hair down to here. And as long as I've known him, uh, people have just like thought he was the, the greatest thing in the history of time, right? He, uh, before websites and the internet like almost even existed, there were girls that were making websites to him, right, which is a little weird around, around 2000, but Jeremy was just always a male model and awesome. I brought him. He was going to be the bass player, right? And uh, I brought my friend Patrick. Uh, there used to be in uh, Christian music subculture, there was a singer named Chris Rice. He was like the poor man's James Taylor. Maybe you remember him, or maybe you're even more lost than ever. Um, my friend Patrick his uncle was this Chris Rice guy. So that was a big deal. You know, that was the ultimate name drop on a Christian college campus. You could make, you know, just drop a terrible pickup line, but then be like, but my uncle's Chris Rice and girls would love you. So I brought these guys and we decided that we were going to be like some version of a poor man's DC talk or U2. And we were going to play this song 40 that, that U2 does. And so we came home and Patrick was, was going to do the high harmony that most people can't even sing. And Jeremy was playing this incredible bass riff. And all I had to do was basically just show up and play like two chords, literally two chords on the guitar. It was E and A and that was it, right? Uh, and, and they were just going to make me look good. And so we sang and I remember walking off the stage and I should have been singing in worship to God, but I just remember thinking like, that was awesome. And from here, I'm probably going to move to Nashville, right? And I remember people, people at my church just saying like, this is how all the big groups get started. This is, this is how it starts. You do one thing and it just goes from there with momentum. And I was dumb enough to think like, yeah, we just sang for 70 people in Ritman, Ohio, and it probably will snowball from here, and this is, this is going to get great, and I, I wasn't smart enough to know that that was probably the pinnacle of my music career, and, 
And not just that, but I wasn't smart enough to know that I wasn't very talented, right? Like the, uh, the guys that I had stacked my team with were the ones that had all the talent. They were the ones that like arranged this thing and decided that we could put capos on the guitars and make everything play octaves and it would sound awesome. And they were the ones doing harmony and I was just the one that was like up there taking the credit. And sometimes, right, when, when we're on a good team like that, things, things look better. I put myself on a, on a great team and I made sure that I look good. And sometimes the, uh, the impression of a team looks better than, than things really are. Some of us learned that the hard way last night, which is why we're, we're really tired, right? We, we, uh, we've looked at this team that we know and love and we've thought they are this. And maybe now we're learning that some individuals on that team aren't as good. Well, sometimes that works against us and sometimes that works for us. Sometimes when you're on a team, you can be made to to look really good. And sometimes the things that that you attempt are made better because of the people around you. Sometimes the the things that you attempt are made better better because of the the family around you or the group around you, the employees around you. But working and living and functioning on a team is an incredible plan. It's not just a plan for people who wanna try and make it to Nashville or impress their, their parents when they come home from college, but, but God has built us to, to function on teams and to share life with people. God has asked us to work closely with those around us, and we wanna take a look at a passage today that, that talks more about that. I say that the reason that, that we're made to, to function in a family and around people and on a team is because God has built us to share life and to share our faith. But the American life isn't really that way. It doesn't teach us to to share life, right? I mean, most of us probably live in a home or in a condo or somewhere where we try to avoid talking to people as much as possible. We come around the corner in our car, we hit the garage door opener, we pull into our garage, we we, we close the door, and then we we quickly run to our house. And if we have to, when we're getting the mail, we might like make eye contact with a neighbor and be like, hey neighbor, how are you? And then run back in the house, right? The American life is very private. And so because of that, sometimes our American church or our American faith is very private. But God wants us to function on a team. God wants us to share life with other people. God wants us to be a part of larger groups where we can contribute to what other people are doing. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that we're, that we're functioning with a, with a team? Why does it matter that we're functioning with a group? Why does it matter if, if I'm saying, oh, that doesn't come natural? And sometimes Americans like to be really private. Sometimes they avoid people. Sometimes they, they don't like to be around others. Well, here's why it matters. We're going to look at a passage today. And let me, just, let me just give you a few verses out of it real quick. But 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says that if we're not sharing life with people, if we're not putting ourselves around people, if we're not loving each other, these verses say that we don't actually love God. We don't actually know God. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty if you have a garage door opener that you, you don't know Jesus or anything like that, right? But, but that's why we want to look at this passage because we're told if we're not functioning on a team, if we're not functioning with other people, if we're not loving other people, it's going to affect the way that we live out our faith. And it's going to put in question our faith because they are one and the same. And so I want to invite you to turn to a passage today that, that we want to look at together. It's 1 John chapter 4. It's on page 943. We want to look at verses 7 to 21 as we kind of unpack this concept. We've been in a series, as as Sarah mentioned, talking about being a quality disciple. 
And sometimes in America, we know what it looks like to be a stereotypical Christian. We know that we're supposed to wear a certain t-shirt or listen to a certain radio station. We know we're supposed to talk a certain way. We're supposed to go to church and do some behavioral things. And and that's what a Christian is. And yet a, a quality disciple is someone who has said, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to walk after him and I want to live my life for him. And some of us, as we look around, we don't really know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We've learned to be an American Christian, and sometimes those two are not the same thing. I had a mentor one time tell me that if if you owned a a, a candy company, and at the end of the assembly line for chocolate bars, there were no chocolate bars in the chocolate bar wrappers, you would shut down the assembly line, and you would go back and see what the problem is. And so sometimes, we can look at the American church, and we can look at our own lives, and we can say that we know... know how to tell people to go to church and we know how to tell people to do certain things but at the end of the assembly line sometimes we're not seeing people who are quality disciples or people who are actually following Jesus and living their lives after his life and so we need to stop things and we need to go back to the beginning we need to go to the process and we need to say what did we miss what's wrong here and so this conversation this morning is part of that process to say what does it look like to be a quality disciple of Jesus what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus who's walking after him and whose life looks like that. And so this morning, we want to just look at this concept that being a quality disciple of Jesus requires one anothering. So I want to read 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21, page 943, if you've got a Bible there under your seat. Let me read this. You can follow along. I'm going to pull some truth out of this this morning. It says this, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love, and God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid of the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. There's so many things packed into those verses right there. But it's the basis of this phrase that you've probably heard, God is love. 
God is love. God embodies love. God invented love. We get our concept, our definition, and everything we know about love from God. He loves us so much, this verse says, that even though we're, we're far away from him, we have, we have impurities and things in our life and our heart that separate us from God. This, this verse tells us that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, and by understanding our need for him, by, by, by saying, I, I, love, I love you, God, and I want to live my life for you, I understand that Jesus came and, and gave his life for me so that I could know you, and he paid the price for my sin, for my wrongdoing, for the things in my heart. This, this verse tells us that we're, we're made his children by putting our faith and our hope and our trust in him. And when we put our faith and our hope and our trust in him, it it tells us that our lives and our hearts are transformed. And as our lives and our hearts are transformed, that should change who we are and that should change our definition of love and that should change the way we treat people around us, the way we interact with the world and certainly the way that we interact with other people who are also our brothers and sisters in Christ. It should change the way we interact with people who also call themselves Christ followers or Christians or disciples. This verse is saying, if you understand the love of Jesus and that he gave his life for you, not because you deserved it, but because he loved you right where you were at, broken and confused and sinful, he loved you right where you were at, for better or worse, forever, if you understand that love and you've given your life to him, that love should change you. And that love should make you a quality disciple. That love should make you someone who is marked by that love, ruined by that love, and able to love the world in that same way. But let's be honest. Although we're changed and we're transformed, we have moments where we slip up and where we fail and where we we don't quite live out love as love should be reflected, right? Right? And there are people all around the world claiming the name of Jesus, claiming the name of Christ, and then falling short in the way that they love. This passage was written to the New Testament church to to clarify that and to say, this is what the love of Jesus is. This is what the love of Jesus looks like in someone's life. And if someone is a disciple of Jesus, if they are walking after him, if they are learning from him, if they are following him, if he is their teacher and they are his student, their life should be marked by this same love. This verse says that if, if we can't love one another, something's, something's wrong. Maybe we don't know the love of Jesus Maybe we've forgotten the love of Jesus. Maybe we're, we're not really trying to live out the love of Jesus. But when we know that love and see that love and understand that love, it should change who we are. And when we're loving each other, we're, we're loving one another. And this, this phrase, this, this concept of, of one anothering is all throughout Scripture and all throughout the New Testament. There are a lot of times that we're told exactly what it looks like to, to, to be a disciple of Jesus and to, to follow him and to love each other. There are all these times that, that, that Scripture says, here's what it looks like to live life in community, to invest in each other, to let, to let your church and your community and other Christ followers invest in you. Here's what it looks like to do this this one anothering thing. Some of us are introverts. Some of us like to live life alone. Some of us don't like the drama that comes with people. Some of us have been hurt in the past. Some of us don't like our family. Some of us don't like the people we work with. Some of us have been to more than one church and, and there's just things that follow us. And so we've thought, you know what? I've been told this is a personal relationship with me and Jesus and, and that's how I'm going to keep that. And yet scripture tells us time and time again, no, your faith 
is personal, but your faith isn't private. Your faith was made to be lived out in community and God has given us each other. He's given us other Christ followers. He's given us the church so that we can live out our faith. And we're supposed to love one another. In fact, we're supposed to do a, a lot of different things to one another. There are, there are 47 different other commands in the, in the New Testament. And here's some, some categories that they, uh, they, they fall into. Here's some, some categories and things that, that we should live out. We're, we're told that, that as, we, as we live out this one another faith, this, this one another thing, we're, we're told that, that we should be living out unity, loving each other and being in community is not just about one person. It's about multiple people who probably have multiple opinions and who probably have multiple gifts and multiple passions and multiple political parties and multiple jobs and multiple families and multiple views and multiple sports teams that they like and, and, and lots of lots of lots of different things. But if, if we're disciples of Jesus, if we're walking after him, if we're learning from him and if we're loving one another, we should be driven to unity. Now you and I know that there are many, many things that, that rip us apart and, and tear us apart and, and, and distract and take away from who we are. And yet we're supposed to find a way with the love of Jesus to live out unity. We're also told to, to live out love. About a, a third of these one another commands are just straight up saying, hey, Christians, hey, Christ followers, hey, people who say you're a part of the church and have been transformed, you're getting this wrong. I need you to love each other. We're called to unity and we're called to love. We're told that as we function and live on a team, as we're part of a group of people, we're made better. And so it's our job to figure out how do we achieve unity and how can we love each other? One of these uh, other things that we're told is we're often, uh, we're often focused on humility. We're told that as we defer to each other, as we serve each other, as we think of others as more important than ourselves, it helps us live out our faith. It helps the love of Christ transform us. I don't know what, what you're told throughout the week. I don't know what messages you're hearing as you, as you watch different TV shows and things, but I'm assuming that, that uh, as you go through your week at work and you talk to your friends and you work out and you watch some shows and you take in a podcast on the way to work, you're usually not focused on unity, love, and humility, right? Let's be honest. The world is not saying, hey, be more humble. Be more unified with people around you and try to love them more too. No, the world is saying they're wrong, their opinions are wrong, so you guys need to watch separate news networks, first of all, just so we can realize that we're in two camps. And, and not just that, but you need to probably get online, and those people that are in the other camp, you need to tell them that they're in the other camp, and tell them why your camp is better, and why you're smarter, and why you know everything, and they know nothing. And you know what? They're not listening to you, so just, just stop talking to them, too. Stop interacting with them. Stop spending time with them. I know you used to be friends or you used to call them family or yeah, they were in your wedding, but they're so different from you. How could this possibly work? So let's just forget this unity thing. Let's forget this love thing. Let's forget this humility thing. And let's just try to find people that agree with us and want to get along with us. And, and that's how we'll make this work. And yet that's not what scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that to be a quality disciple, to be a follower of Jesus 
That requires us doing this one another thing. That requires us depending on other people, needing other people, opening up to other people, and sometimes letting other people carry us. Because sometimes you're the guy in the band with no talent, right? And you just have to admit that and let other people do that work for you. And then there are some times that you're the person with all the talent and you have to carry other people. We're told that to be a disciple of Jesus, we have to practice this one another thing. And one anothering requires unity, love, and humility. And there are a bunch of other commands that we're told that we're supposed to practice toward one another. And so I want to just read these for you. I know that this is a list, and sometimes lists can be exhausting. But as I, as I looked at these this week, these convicted me. Don't judge one another or make each other stumble. Don't deprive each other of physical intimacy in a marriage. Speak truth to one another. Don't lie to one another. Comfort one another. Encourage and build up one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Pray for one another and be hospitable to one another. There's not just one verse in the New Testament that says this one another thing and and someone decided, hey, let's write a book on that one verse and, and try to make this into a good story. This is something that we're told over and over and over and over and over again. That God created us to live in community and God wants our faith practiced in community. And when we're rubbing shoulders and depending on other people and letting them depend on us, we're better And that's how our faith comes to maturity. That's how we see a full picture of our Lord. That's how we're sharpened. And that's how we eventually get to where God wants us. We say that we're a movement of people finding their way back to God. But we know that, that men are made in the image of God and women are made in the image of God. And, 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 and so for us to see a full picture of God, we have to be interacting with introverts and extroverts and males and females and Republicans and Democrats and people that are musical and people that aren't musical and people that want to work with movement kids and people that can't stand movement kids. We need to be experiencing and depending on and loving the entire body of Christ. And we need to let the body of Christ do the same in our lives. This one another thing is a two-way system. It requires you saying, I'm going to humble myself and invest in someone else. And there are times that you're going to have to say, I'm going to humble myself and admit that I have needs, admit that I'm not perfect, admit that I don't know everything or know all the answers, and I'm going to let those people invest back in me. One anothering is a two-way street. There's one time in my life that I feel like I, I admitted that, and, and it was when we started Movement Church. We were looking at the prospect of, of starting a church, and, and we knew that there were going to be some different things we'd have to do, like, like music, and I thought, you know what? Fall break was not that good. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need some other people to do music. We, we, might, we might need someone else that's a little better. And so I talked to my friend Josh, and and he came to, to do music with Movement Church. I talked to my friend Jack and I said, Jack, one of us handles a $16 million budget for the armed forces and it's not me. Do you think maybe you could do some of the, the finances for Movement Church and, and help us out? And he said, yes. And my friend Phil, I talked to him and said, I don't work with databases for the largest employer in the state of Ohio, but you do. Do you think you could help us out with operations? And, and there were other people that were working with kids and, and many different things. And, and so sometimes when we're, when we're trying to do great things for God, we have to step back and say, I can't do it all. But a lot of times we're not attempting great things for God. We're sitting back and being comfortable and we're saying, I can, I can handle this or I'll figure it out. 
And God's saying, I don't, I don't want you to figure it out. He calls us to greater things that are beyond us and beyond our gifts so that we have to need other people, so that we have to open ourselves up to other people, so that we have to ask other people to help us, and we have to be blessed by their gifts so that we can see a full picture of God. Because being a follower of Jesus, being a quality disciple, requires one anothering. And that starts with love, and that starts with unity, and that starts with humility, but it's many, many, many other things. And so I want to just challenge us today as a church, in what way do you need to, to open up? Here's some, some questions that you can ask yourself. Do you believe that the way you love others really indicates the way you love God? Do you really believe that? I think a lot more of us would find ourselves in community if we did. If you thought the way that you're investing in people and letting them invest in you, the way that you're sharing life with people is a true indicator of how you love God and how you're experiencing God, I think a lot more of us would be involved in community. Here's another question. Who is one person you need to focus on one another behavior with this week? Maybe there's someone you've been avoiding. Maybe someone in your family, someone that you work with, someone in this church that you used to be close with, someone that was in your wedding, a friend, someone that God has put in your life for a reason and you've, you've started to turn your back or just ignore them. And you're saying, you know what, I can change my behavior, I can change my attitude, I can, I can practice one another behavior with them this week. Some of the married men are like, I'm gonna practice one another behavior with my wife, that's another message, we'll talk about that later, but if, if you wanna try and tell your wife that when you get home and see where that gets you, you can do that too, right? Right, we're supposed to, we're supposed to love one another, we're supposed to invest in one another, supposed to open our lives and our hearts and our emotions to one another. Here's another question. Do you allow other people to treat you with one another behavior or have you put yourself on an isolated island because it feels safer? Being a quality disciple of Jesus requires one anothering. Being a quality disciple of Jesus requires one anothering. How have you closed your heart or your mind or your life to others? How have you failed to invest in others or let them into your life? Let me pray as we think about that and reflect on that. God, you, you are a God that is great Lord, even as we, we understand you, we see, we see different persons. We see God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. We see, we see different characteristics and, and aspects and persons, Lord. We know that you are complex. And, and so our faith was not made to be lived out by the simplicity of us and our minds and our hearts and our opinions, Lord. You created us to rub shoulders and to interact and to be blessed by other people. So God, I pray that we will be a church that is marked by one anothering. Lord, I pray that we will be a church that's marked by investing in other people, sharing life with other people. God, I pray that we'll be a church that, that lets others minister to us when we need that, when we need humbled, when we need loved, when we just need help. God, help us to be able to share life, willing to share life, excited to share life, and to live out our faith 
as you intended in community. God, I pray if that means joining a group, if that means seeking other people out, starting a mentoring relationship, or just apologizing to a friend, Lord, help us to do whatever we have to do to live out one anothering this week. Lord, we want to seek you. We want to be quality disciples. We want to be marked and changed and transformed by your love. And we want to live that out. Give us the strength and the courage to do that this week, Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen.